Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portson with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. Hello, Allison. The Blue Jackets are, it's been four games since we spoke to you last. They're one, two, and one. They are hosting the, the uh, home opener on Thursday against their friends, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Stanley Cup winning, Stanley Cup winning Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Allison, they're one, two, and one, and nobody's happy, and nobody should be happy. Huh. <laughs> <sighs> These are what are these games been like for you to watch? We sometimes see different things with the games. It's been a frustrating start because it just it looks like I, I call it cough medicine hockey, where it's you you know that feeling when you're just kind of in a haze trying to get through the day and you don't feel well. That's what the large portion of a lot of these games have looked like to me in the early going. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think uh, up until game four, ironically, it was, uh, you know, first just kind of like, is anything going to happen? And then when you saw that the team was not able to muster much of an offensive push, uh, and I'm speaking specifically about game three, then you start to say, well, 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 where's the push? (laughs) Where, where's the, where's the drive? Where's the fire? So, um, you know, at first I was willing to say we're not there, but but then again, you know, I, I'm not at every road game. I mean, you are, but I am not. And um, missing missing some of the energy, missing some of the urgency for me personally. Um, and in a shortened season, uh, every game matters more, whether everyone likes it or not. And so uh, that's something I'm definitely watching right now. Yeah, um, wrote about it today, Seth Jones. Zach Wierenski, Cam Atkinson, all zeros. Some big minuses for what that's worth. Not a lot, but they've not scored. Um, Max Domi, there I go again. Max Domi, one point. Nick Foligno, one point. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, one point. It goes without saying, if these guys are playing well, if the Blue Jackets are playing well, there's a question of do they have enough offensive firepower. When those guys aren't going, I just named six guys, and they're really not going. They've had moments, each of them, I guess. Some of them haven't even really had moments. They got no chance, right? I mean, the the, the margin for error becomes a, a, a gap to success. They, they just can't sustain it like that. A hundred percent. And, and you know, I think it, this this goes back to that that fight, um, what we're looking for. You, you just don't see it. I mean, to me – Alexander Texier is perhaps the most fired up player on the ice right now that I see. Um, And, you know, the the silver lining, I will say this, at least for Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, um, the two of them in five-on-five play, um, they are firing the puck at the net more than any other Blue Jacket player. Um, They are getting more unblocked shot attempts through than any, any other player. So that gives me optimism. That, that that's an issue of the pucks need to fall. That that's a very common thing that that I'll I'll allow a little faith for. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the rest of it, mm, yeah, it's definitely concerning. Yeah, and the problems I, like I'm I'm not really reading into the power play yet. It's over six. That that's not good. I'm not even really on the power play just yet. Although it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't been good enough. 
But the problems that have pervaded the power play through the years, we've talked about this sort of, it's almost this adherence to a textbook plan rather than a passion. It's almost like an instruction booklet rather than an art form when they have the puck. Um, It feels methodical, right? Not inventive. And that, to me, is exactly what's going on all over their game now, even five on five. There's just no, there's no jam there. There's no, I don't see a, a joy about their, their game. What, what is the, do you see a direction that they're trying to take that, that they're not able to pull off? Do you see a, are you, do you see what they're trying to do? I guess is the way to say it. <laughs> it's it's a great question. I you know I I, I like the way you described it. Um, it, it. It's that lack of joy is what I was describing before. Of like, it, 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 there's a plotting to it. A p l o d d i n g plotting. Um, yeah. To what what I feel like we've seen and and, and what excites me, what what energizes me. Um, and and at this point, like really, we can't. We can't pile on the power play because it is what it's been. I'm almost in the space where if it improves, I'll be surprised. Um, but we've seen some flashes from Max Domi there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some beautiful cross crease passes. Um, we've seen a, a little, yes, exactly, a little bit of that, um, even strength too. Part of me wants to say, and again, I'm not in the room. Who am I to say? John Tortorella would probably crawl through the internet if he listened to this and smack me, but um, – T- take the handcuffs off Max. D- play, but do that. Yeah. Feel free. You use your creativity. Um, you see glimpses of that. You saw a really nice setup with some hold in the offensive zone last game, and then they score the Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's the letting go um, when they seem to find success. You're seeing flashes of it, but yes, I I don't see. It, it's what I said. Other than the start to Game Four, I, I don't, I, I don't know that this team knows which way they're going. And, and uh, don't even get me started on the eighteen million reasons that could be. Yeah. It, it's, I don't think it's as simple as to say it's one thing. Yeah, but let's talk about two possibilities because I've got some thoughts here. Uh, the second one I'll get to is the elephant in the room that everybody wants to talk about. I think it's an impossible thing to read right now, but we'll get to that in a second. The first one for me is I feel like there's there's been so much talk about loosening these guys up to play offensively. And now you've put these players in the position where you're saying all of your offensive struggles from last year have now been wrapped up in a tidy little bow that we played conservatively. In other words, we played with the restrictor plate on our engines last year because we didn't want to take chances because they had to make things clean for the goalies. All of that made sense. Now, though, we're, this time we mean it, or mm-hmm. now you guys have the freedom to go. And I, so I think you sort of have already seen an evolution in the first couple of games here from the first couple of games where I thought they tried to play that way at the start with Nashville. And what happened is, holy Lord, the, the puck going the other way was a real issue. And yeah. they gave up some goals. Um, yeah. Off, I think seven. Well, they had eight goals in those two games. One was an empty netter. But of the other of the other seven, five were scored either off the rush or in transition or odd man rushes. 
Um, mm-hmm. You get you get a little nervous that way. If you keep getting bit the same way, you, you tend to, to go in a shell a little bit. I think what we've seen in Detroit is the shell a little bit yeah. where yeah, yeah. there's just isn't. They, they, they sort of became conditioned in, in Nashville that every time they try to sort of stretch their legs and speak out, oh, God, here it goes the other direction. Um, and I, so this team has been known to overthink. I may myself be overthinking things right now, but what do you think about, about that idea? They just, they, they're being told to be free of mind. Sometimes that's the hardest way to be free of mind. I just don't see it taking effect with them as they intended. Yeah, I, I agree with that last part of of not taking effect as they intended. And, and I'm struggling as, as we talk through this, what I think the answer is, because I don't, I don't want to place burden on any one side. But uh, my initial reaction leans toward wanting the to challenge the players to to release whatever's happening because we we've heard this from from the group and and I get it I actually support it that the that the group was a little bit hampered by having to play so defensively responsibly last year they wanted to be free um so why not let it go um I, I almost wonder now too as I talk through this like I said real time if it's not necessarily as much the style of play but it's the sense of urgency. It, it's the lack of feeling like they're ready. And that's not a judgment on the coaching staff mm-hmm. or the organization, but a shorter training camp, you didn't have a, a ramp up with exhibition games. And so now here are these games and everyone knows they matter and no one wants to get start off behind. Um, and maybe that perhaps is what's impacting this more than anything. But uh, if it were me, I would like to have a conversation with these players open to hearing what they have to say, but is this not what you wanted? And is something going on there that maybe needs to be pushed through? Right. Um, because I, I don't, certainly don't see that the coaches pre- enforcing, like you must think offensively. That seems counterintuitive to me. Yeah. I mean, that, that should let you loose in your, yes. in your game. Um, not, it's not Katie bar the door. It's, it's never going to be that, but there's a little bit more understanding or there's a little more leeway for offensive risk this year. Um, that should be music to their ears, which brings me back to, I, I guess, you know, another sort of element within that first part is, can this team do it? Is it the restrictor plate or is it the engine? Um, is, is that why the struggle is there? Are they just not able to, even them loosening up and playing, may not be enough for them to score and this team to score enough in the NHL. We've talked about this. For me my issue is is this. Can this team does this team have enough offense right now, not as not from what we've seen. I'm not arguing this. On the roster, is there enough for them to be competitive offensively in the regular season? I think there is. My question is what happens when you get to the postseason? Um it, on the whole, this has been my issue. Right now, they got mm. they got big problems. Um, I think they need so much more to be to be offensively capable in the postseason. But I think as they're presently constructed, there's no reason this team shouldn't be able to be effective and successful in the regular season. That's just my my feeling. I, I also look at it this way: you've got. You've you have zero points from Jones, Wierenski, Atkinson. You have minimal contributions from 
other significant players on this team. The fact that you're losing and those things are in place, that correlates. Like the bigger concern for me would be if those guys were playing well and you still weren't winning. So if you look at the situation now, do I think Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski are going to get going and are going to start getting rewarded? Um, They're going to start playing better, A, and within that get rewarded with points. I do. History tells me that is a reasonable expectation. Do I think Cam Atkinson is going to start playing better and through that better play is going to be rewarded with points and goals and and good games? I do. I, I still believe that. I think history is my guide there as well. So the, the, the question for me so right now is just how do they get out of this deep, frigid funk? Because I do think this roster is still good enough to be a capable regular season team for sure. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, and I – it's funny, and I'm again. I, I hesitate saying these things because I'm certainly not picking on on coach or player. But we think of hearing Torts saying he's he's a, a student of the mind, and, and I look at the first game against Detroit. You know, just coming out soft, coming out without energy. Yep. Bjorkstrand gets the team on the board, and bang, bang, two more goals. And it it, it was almost like it was unlocked. Yes. The minute they saw one guy score, you know, and then game four they go down. And then, you know, it's, oh my gosh, are they even going to be able to tie it up? Right. Um, I don't know if they're so wound up in, and I know you said we're going to get to this, are they so wound up in trying to prove something, whatever it is, yeah. prove something to Pierre-Luc Dubois, prove something to the league, prove something to who knows who or who knows what, that that it, it's like we talked about last year, until the injury said, get out of your head because you just have to go out there and do something. Yeah. Um, they're too locked up mentally, it seems. Yeah. And this is an argument to me for lineup changes on Thursday. Mm-hmm. That that it screams that to me. Uh if I'm coach of the team, Kirby goes in. Mm-hmm. I need that. I need a I need something. I need something I can hang my hat on. I have to know there's going to be energy in this game. Um, and so I think it's reached that point. They haven't really tweaked with the lineup at all in the early going. Um, the one thing I loved about Texier is goal, and I will belabor this point. I'm not even going to apologize for it because I, I no longer bitch to you about it in the press box, Allison. I sit here alone in my study and do it. Um, he got the puck and he shot the puck in one fluid move. Bang. Puck mm-hmm. shot. I, I came out of my chair the other night with Oliver Bjorkstrand. I'm never going to tell Oliver Bjorkstrand how to shoot. Because the man has a great shot. He dusted the damn thing off twice and fired it into the goalie. And I've seen that probably in the four games, probably six to eight times now. Great scoring chances that die on the stick of the shooter because they take that half second or a full second to line it up, to measure, and to shoot, and it it, it blows each time. Texier from damn near the blue line just snapped it on net. And... I there was a half second there where Bernier had to had to respond. Oh, this is a shot, and all it, it worked out perfectly. Not, it, it wasn't a strategic play. Oh, I know Foodie's going to be there. It just it works, and it has to be done more to keep people off balance and be less predictable than it is right now. It's just so predictable right now. Um, 
Elephant in the room time. Yes. Can I say something about Texier though first? Yes, please. So, so I agree. And I agree with your point about creating chaos and unpredictability. Seth Jones is the one who makes me just, ah, just shoot the shoot puck, the- man. Um, but I actually point to Texier's goal in the first game okay. where he just says, screw it, and just carries that thing in and tries a wraparound attempt. I mean, the ball's on that guy yeah, on that play. Right. Um, that's, that is the element that for me is also missing to, to add on to your, to your point, to which I also fully co-sign. I th- you know what, Bamstrom, to his credit too, because we've, we've talked about his struggles um, with the shot that was supposed to be his forte mm. last year. Domi, you mentioned the, the cross-zone pass that Domi made on the power play. Great pass. And you know what? Bemstrom put good wood on it. And it was a, yep. it was a good one-timer. He, he keeps doing that. He's going to be rewarded. If not being yes. the goalie clean, there are going to be rebounds in um, as a result of that. I, don't, I, I like that shot. Someone else, it might have been Domi unleashed a shot. Out of no, oh whoa, that was the unpredictable shot save. That that is their, their luck right now, um, but it's just not. It's not a dangerous, reckless enough offensive team uh, for my liking. Elephant Agreed. in the room, and I let's go. I don't know that we're gonna. There there won't be an answer to this. There really can't be an answer to this. But I think it's foolish to not think that the situation with Pierre Luc Dubois is having some effect on this team right now. And I Pierre-Luc Dubois has just been okay for me on the ice. Is that fair? Yes, I agree. Um and I you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to not ask him the question because it might make him uncomfortable. So I asked him, are you able to play your game in this situation and he he gave the the stock Answer. You could almost see him flip through the Rolodex. What wait? What did we say? I was going to say about this. I have one job, and it's to play hockey and help the team. I just have to go out there and help the guys and try to get two points every night. Like I said, it's a short season, so every game matters even more. I just have one job, and it's to help this team win. And so I reiterated: Are you able to do that? In other words, there's a lot of noise about this young man. Only some of it in Columbus, Ohio. There's talk all over the league about this kid. He's the number one center. Uh, are you able to do that? I don't know that he is. I don't sense him playing free. And I wonder what's going on in the dressing room such that it is in these COVID days um, because of that story. And and I know a lot of people from, from the outside think that this is a media person's dream, that we love to fan the flames with this sort of stuff. That's fine. Go with it, if you will. I think it's naive to think that when your number one center, one of the best players in the room, asked to be traded, in essence says, I don't want, want to be here any longer. That's that's not going to be received well in the room. At minimum, that's going to be disruptive in the room. I'm. Not, what do we know? What can we tell about the way they're playing? And do we have any reason to think that this is or not affecting their play? Five on five, power play, what have you. Yeah. I mean, I come at this at a little different angle. Um, Let's talk about the player on the ice first. Um, He hasn't blown the doors off, no. Um, But I also don't think he's dogging it. Um, And, you know, this is a player who, again, I've said this repeatedly, the problem is now we have seen him at 
what currently is close to his his ceiling, which is what we saw in the postseason last year, um, which was exceptional. And to yes. see that now everything is compared against that. Right. Um, but but this isn't super far off the mark of of what we've seen in the past. Uh, this is a player that ebbs and flows like so many. And we are not in the room, and, and we've talked about this before, but, um, you know, again, and again, all for safety, but we are not able to get a vibe yep. um, walking around the players. We aren't able to just chat with guys casually and see, get a, get a read on how they might be feeling or, yep. or what, the, what the energy is. So we're going off of Zoom calls. And, and at the end of the day, if, if Pierre-Luc Dubois wants to answer your questions like he did, that's his right. Totally. Um, my concern is, and, and we've written on this, you and I did a piece on, on why conflict helps this team um, last or two summers ago at the time as a flat circle. But Pierre-Luc Dubois can give the stock answers to media. That's his right. Mm-hmm. I am of the opinion that for the team to be at its optimal functionality, he owes his teammates more. They don't need to agree. They don't need to like it. He doesn't need to enjoy telling them, but it is that bedrock of honesty and knowing the reality of where everyone is coming from that allows everything to grow from there for a successful team. And I've harped on this before. Um, This is all about the five dysfunctions of a team. Um, If Pierre-Luc Dubois is answering questions inside the room as he is to us, I think that is a disservice to his team. And we don't need to know that. But I think in terms of what happens in the room, it's a disservice to his team and to everyone being the best they can be if he cannot be honest with them because everything about that group being successful is going to be hampered if he cannot be honest, even to a degree, even if it's only 20 or 40% of the truth. Um, It's going to hamper their ability to be at their optimum performance, and that's what this group needs to be successful for all the reasons we already talked about as far as production. Yeah. And I think the reason articulated with the players when it is articulated as a week ago, according to John Tortorella on his radio show, it had not been articulated to the group. Right. Why? Exactly. Um, exactly. I'm not sure if, if, if that is still the case or if I believe that it was the case, to be honest with you. But if the reason, if the reason ever articulated to the players is a reason that can be um, sort of played alongside, mm-hmm. then it can work. If it's, I don't like my teammates, then that's a zero. I, we have no reason to believe that. If I don't like the city, well, suck it up. Okay, you can still play like that. That's something you can play alongside. But the concern here is the way this team is built, this is a team that has, when it's played its best, has been greater than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And if you, if they don't have that, if they if they don't have the all together now stuff, then this could be a really long season because they they are. It's hard for them to win when they're not together as the sum of their parts. That's just the way this team is constructed, which kind of gets back to our original point. They have to be firing um, to be successful. The other thing is, and I this is a, a heavy question, Allison, but if you're Yarmo Kekalainen and you deem that the situation is untenable, something's got to be done, or the season 
is going to be sacrificed. Do you make the a less than optimal trade here to restore peace in the dressing room and attempt to save the season? Or do you sacrifice this season to get the best deal you can get? Knowing that it could be John Tortorella's last season in Columbus, could be. It could be David Savard's last year in Columbus. It could be Nick Felino's last year in Columbus. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, you, you know, again, I, I think, as, as I said before, and, it, you know, it's, it's Patrick Lencioni I should, I should cite um, for those five dysfunctions of a team. I highly recommend the book to anyone. Um, his, his priority should be to fix the team because whether Pierre-Luc Dubois stays or goes, um, those principles need to be in place. Yeah. Um, the, the trick of where he is at right now, this being Yarmo Kekalainen, is that you don't want the player's value to decline as related to a perceived performance within the team or the player. Um, it, it's so hard. Um, I, the, 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 here's the, it's so hard. I, I think that the thing is that this question is going to be more relevant probably in 10 games because if you fall way behind with this schedule and this number of games, catching up is almost insurmountable. Yeah. Um, and, and that's when you really have to ask, well, if this current season is already lost, um, do we go all in? And, and this goes bad. This harkens back to other conversations. And now I'm really unpacking a, a bunch of, of messes, but if you're not going to be good, if you're not going to make the playoffs, right. this team has perpetually not intentionally taken moves to put them in the best draft position possible if playoffs weren't an option. Nice way to say it. And so <laughs> I'm trying. And so if if this is the year, why not try for that? Um, just, you know, that that's something he has to consider. Yes, he does. And and I've heard a lot of people um, wonder, Pierre-Luc Dubois to Montreal, where would he like to be traded? And I, that's when I tap the brakes a little bit and go, okay, listen, the kid has the right to say I'd like to be traded. That's just right. a human. But who cares? <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah. That, right. I mean, I don't want to be here as anyone's right and any adult right to, de- to determine. Right. But the Blue Jackets are under like less than zero obligation. <laughs> Right. To figure out where he wants to go and make the trade, he has no control over the no control over the trade. He's he's a player fresh out of his entry level deal. There's no no trade. There's no no move in there. So right. this is not a where do you want to go. This is do I get the best offer, Allison? It's very interesting to me. It's it's um, reckless to jump to conclusions in our chairs. It's also um, a mistake to be naive about these things. I think there's a reason Alexander Texier is playing and playing so much at center ice. And this team has to, has to prepare. I think it changes the trade market significantly. If you have to get a centerman back for Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mm -hmm. if you have to get a centerman back for Pierre-Luc Dubois, it almost makes an in-season trade impossible because 
There's just yes. a ton of different variables on that. Um, if you can take a winger back and you don't have to have a top six center, in other words, if Alexander Texier is ready to be that, then that opens up all kinds of possibilities on the trade market that don't exist if you have to get a sentiment back. So I, I refuse every time I see Alexander Texier play uh, and I think about him playing center, um, that's where my mind goes, that this is very much an evaluation process uh, for young Mr. Texier. Thoughts? I'm, I'm a little a little less cynical than you. Um, I think that this team has shown flexibility. I, I Listen, I think if Pierre-Luc Dubois goes, they're, they're cashing in on the season. Yeah. Um, to be honest. And, and if that is the context, they have Texier, they have Jenner, they even have Felino in a pinch. Um, Koivu will be coming back, we hope, in good health. Um, so they can cobble together something. Um, I, I think that if this trade is made, unless it's a, a comparable to a Jones-Johansson trade, and I don't know that it will be. I don't know that you see a center for center trade yeah. at this level of talent. Um, I think this is a cobbling together the rest of the season, but there is enough talent on this roster to do just that. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I want to pick your your brain about. We've talked about it for, oh, four years here. Um, how long do Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski play together? Now, it was interesting to me after the game in Detroit, he, Tortorella split up uh, Jones and Wierenski for long stretches of that game, had them back together towards the end. And after the game, <clears throat> excuse me, he mentioned, Tortorella did, that they have talked as coaches about getting, about doing that this season, uh, about, quote, putting uh, Savard with a skater. Uh, that's an, that was interesting to me. So I asked John Tortorella about it the next the next day. It went great. It, it was not great. interesting to him. We could say that. <laughs> um, I asked to speak to Brad Shaw, who's really eloquent, loquacious, and would use those words, eloquent and loquacious, and declined to comment. Something's up with them mixing the pairings. Allison, your thoughts. What are we looking at there? Yeah, it, it's interesting to me. Because I, prior to this year, had never had a problem with them together or apart. And that honestly was due to the presence of Ryan Murray, who, when healthy, ranked out pretty close to the two of them as a top-tier defenseman. Um, to me, when I really think about this, I don't wonder if this is more about what happens in that third pair and thus the overall makeup of this defense. Um, we've seen Jones and Wierenski as, as this rover pair, Gavrikov and Savard as this staunch defensive pair. And this third pairing has always kind of been effective in different ways, but seeking an identity. And I think when you have a Delzato, a Peak, and a Kukin, um, with all due respect to Scott Harrington, but primarily those three, you can start to think about your defense differently. And maybe there isn't a shutdown pair anymore, but there is value to making each pair have a little bit more shutdown if that's a term. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, so that's how I think about it. I, I think it might be more about remaking this defense when you look at what's pushing from the back because that third pair doesn't work with those pieces, but overall restructuring makes the whole thing hum a little bit better. That's interesting because I, I've, I, I asked the question, I think it was the first year they put Wrensky and Jones together. Like these are two really gifted offensive defensemen or, sh- or should be in different ways. These are defensemen that should be involved in the offensive play, I think is the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wonder if Wierenski's offensive inclination limits Jones's. They, I do think so, yes. They can't both be that way on the ice. They can't both play that way. Yes. Um, I, you wonder if if you split them up, if you put you know, Savard with Wierenski, you put Gavrikov with Jones – then it's pretty clear which player on that pair is has the green light to engage offensively. Um, and I'm not sure Jones can feel perfectly comfortable doing that with with because you don't want to limit Wierenski in that regard. So splitting them up has always it's nothing to do with not thinking they're a great pair. They're a fantastic pair. But it's it's about getting this two fan having Seth Jones or Seth or Zach Wierenski on the ice for forty eight to fifty minutes of the game is really enticing to me if I'm them. Um, and so what I wanted to get from from Tortorella and he was not interested in having this conversation is are are you doing that in instances where you're not happy with the way things are going or is that a trick you can keep in your back pocket as a coach to spice things up at certain parts of the games, as we've seen, like the Penguins put Malkin and Crosby on the same line, uh, three or four shifts a game, uh, just as a little extra juice. Is it how are you looking at that? Is it a response to to needed improvement, or is is it a wrinkle even in good times that you might try? Um, haven't quite gotten an answer for that, but I, I know that this is something they've discussed. Savard uh, talked about them having this discussion before the season started as well, that it was something they wanted to do this year. So yeah, yeah. something yeah, to keep sure. your eye on and we may see it, it more often. Um, Allison, anything else to get to? I think that's it. Games are coming fast and furious. There's not much time for much else. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Thursday against the Lightning, Saturday's game against the Lightning has been moved from 7 p.m. to 2. Did we already talk about this? So that the game can be aired also for our friends in Europe. Uh, so Perfect. prime time in Europe, one would think uh, per rotation that could be a Merzlikens start, in which case, Latvia, what up? Latvia will be up in prime time for that one. You know that. Um, all right. Well, Allison, thanks uh, as always for your time. Folks, thanks for listening. Um, much appreciation to producer Danielle um, and David Cook for that great music. We will be back with you all next Wednesday. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Take care.